Good morning, everyone. Nice to be with you again and to share with you particularly this special baptismal service. We're going to be thinking about baptism in the message. Please turn to Acts chapter 8 and to verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but just you follow on whatever translation you have. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside, beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet speaking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. It's a great thing to realize that uh, God is in control of all the details in our lives, and He arranges things so that He can fulfill His purposes in us and through us. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9, we read, "'We can make our plans,' but the Lord determines our steps. Pastor John Aker boarded a flight at Newark Airport. The plane was nearly empty, but the computer had given him a seat next to a young man called Richard. And once they were airborne, the two began to talk. Turned out that Richard had been at an institute for cancer research where he had been diagnosed with skin cancer and been given a maximum of 10 months to live, and now he was flying home to Nebraska. Pastor Aker asked him, may I tell you about something that changed my life? Given the go-ahead, 
he began to share how he had come to trust Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior, and he explained to this young man the way of salvation. And he asked him, will you trust Jesus for your future, for what lies beyond the grave for you? Richard reached out and he grasped the pastor's hand and he said, pray with me. There and then, high in the air, Richard gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Months later, Pastor Aker found himself again boarding a plane at Newark. And he took his seat and found himself sitting next to an older lady. And as they talked, he was amazed to discover that this older lady was none other than the young man's mother. And it turned out that she had been a Christian for many years, and she said to Pastor Aker, I'm so encouraged. She, she spoke about how her son was growing in his faith and in his trusting Jesus. Uh, and Pastor Aker said, I, yes, and I'm inspired that Richard has followed through on that decision he made, and that God arranged it for us to sit together. And she said, well, actually, before you boarded, I was sitting in another seat, and a lady came up to me and said, I wonder if we can exchange seats. And so that's how I found myself here, sitting next to you. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. He's got everything under control. What a great testimony that was to the way God orders things so that His purposes can be fulfilled. Some would say, oh, it was just a coincidence, but I like to think of it as a God incidence. It's the way God works. It's the way He moves. God controls the circumstances to reach out to those who have particular needs. And there are many today in this church who can verify that and testify that God brought them into contact with someone special, a Christian who shared the gospel with them and helped them on their journey to faith so that they could come to know Jesus Christ personally as their own Lord and Savior. And that's what we find here in this story of Philip the evangelist and the Ethiopian official. The Ethiopian had made a visit to Jerusalem. He had obviously heard about the God of Israel and gone to worship at this very special festival that was being held in Israel. And God saw the yearnings in his heart. He had been in Jerusalem. He hadn't found what he was looking for, but he was still searching. And as he traveled back home, God arranged it for Philip to go and meet him. Philip, who was in the midst of a very successful evangelistic campaign, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I like this man, Philip, because when God says to him, go, he went. 
from a, a very successful situation where everything was happening and people were coming to faith, he went to the middle of nowhere because God told him. Because God had someone he wanted Philip to meet. Someone who was on a spiritual search, this Ethiopian official. So Acts 8.27 says he started out and met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The great truth that we learn in this is that God just isn't interested in the big crowds and the multitudes. He is interested in the individual. He's interested in you. He's interested in me. He knows your needs. He knows my needs. And God will arrange the circumstances in our lives so that we might have that divine encounter, that meeting with someone who can explain things to us and help us to take that next step in the journey of faith to encounter Jesus. Maybe you are here today because of the baptisms and you're wanting to support those who are being baptized. You may be family members, you may be friends, or you may just be visitors to the church, but you're not here by accident. God has brought you here quite purposefully because He wants to encounter you and meet with you. He knows the search that is in our hearts and lives. You may be, have been coming to this church for a long time, but the search is still an ongoing one. You've not reached the point where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you're here today, and God is here too. And He wants to meet with you, and He wants you to come to know Jesus. He wants you to discover purpose and meaning in life. He wants you to know that your sins can be forgiven. He wants you to know and experience the heavy burden of guilt for all your failures in the past being taken away. He wants you to know the joy and the peace and the assurance that knowing Jesus personally can bring. This Ethiopian here in Acts 8 was about to make the greatest discovery of his life. And maybe today, for someone here, this is when you are about to make the greatest discovery of your life. You're going to meet Jesus. So, we see, therefore, uh, in this Ethiopian, a seeking pilgrim. In many ways, the Ethiopian's a strange character to encounter in the pages of the New Testament. But he reminds us that there were many people, even at some considerable distance from Israel, who had heard of the God of Israel, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac and Jacob, and who wanted to know more about him. Perhaps they were dissatisfied with their own pagan religions and national gods, and they may have had contact with some Jews who spoke about the God of Israel, the, the eternal God, the true and living God, and, and they wanted to know more about Him. And so this man had come up to this Jewish festival because he was interested in finding God. We see, first of all, his importance. 
Dr. Luke says that he was a eunuch of great authority, his importance, a eunuch of great authority. He had an important role in the government in Ethiopia. He was a civil servant, maybe even a politician. He must have been highly educated, and he was obviously fluent in speaking and reading different languages. Not only did he speak the language that was spoken in Ethiopia, he also could speak Aramaic with Philip, and he could also read Hebrew because he was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So there's three languages uh, already. Most of us can only speak one, <laughs> English. He spoke three languages at least. So he was a highly educated man, and he was very important. He was powerful, and he was rich. And we know that he was rich because he had enough money to buy the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now, you just couldn't go to the local bookstore in those days and buy a copy of the Bible or a scroll. I mean, these scrolls took a long, long time to write. And those who recorded it recorded the Scripture meticulously so that no mistakes were made. So you can imagine after the length of time to prepare a scroll, a scroll of the Scripture, which only contained a little bit of it, was very, very precious. This man had the money to buy a copy of the scroll. So, we see his importance. We also see his interest. He, he had a spiritual interest. He went to Jerusalem. He, he wanted to find out more about God, but it seems from what we read that all he had encountered was pretty much the cold indifference of the Jewish religious leaders. They looked at him. He wasn't a Jew, so immediately they kind of looked down their nose at him. What's more, he was black, so they looked down their nose at him again. And for all kinds of reasons, no matter how much this man tried to find out more about God, he was left feeling empty, and he was desperate to find out more about this God who he believed was probably the real God, the true God, the living God. So we see his interest. The best he could do was buy a copy of a scroll. That was a great thing we said that he did, an amazing thing, but it was the best under the circumstances he could do. With his interest there, but his search still unsatisfied, he returns home. What do you do when you jump on the plane to fly home from your holidays? Well, you fire up your Kindle and you have a read at a book or, or a magazine or something like that. He was doing the same. He was reading the scroll. And uh, he was reading it out loud, which suggests he knew the language but wasn't so, so uh, 
so familiar with it that he, 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 he could just read it into himself. He needed to sound it all out as he was going down the road. And as he reads out from the scroll of Isaiah, this man draws near to him, a man called Philip. He's about to have an amazing encounter with God's man. So, we see a seeking pilgrim. We see a strange prophecy. He's reading the passage from Isaiah that speaks about the suffering servant. It's in Isaiah 53. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's a very special passage, and it's very precious to all those of us who are Christians because it is a prophetic passage that shows us Jesus. It's speaking of Jesus. And he's reading this passage, and he doesn't know who it is referring to. And that's why he asks Philip, who is the writer speaking about, himself or someone else? It's a strange prophecy. It pictures the suffering and the rejection of Jesus, but to this man, it was confusing. Now, he was a man of learning, and he was a man of culture, but he was experiencing at first hand the fact that spiritual truth can only be discerned spiritually, not rationally. We can understand the history of the Bible, the sociology of the Bible with our minds, but its spiritual message can remain closed to us. The Jews have read this passage in Isaiah for 2,700 years. It's a passage that refers so obviously to Jesus, but still they can't see it. It's hidden from their understanding. Dr. Harry Ironside spoke about one of his friends, Mark Lieb, who as a 12-year-old boy in Odessa, Russia, came into a room where his aged grandmother sat with her Hebrew Bible on her lap. He saw she had tears on her cheeks. She said, Mark, I want to read something to you, and she read Isaiah 53. Then she turned to him and said, Mark, these words refer to our Messiah, the Messiah of Israel. Someday He is coming, and He will suffer for our sins. Mark, I have been looking for Him for over 40 years but he hasn't yet come. But you are just a little boy. He may come in your day. Keep these words in your heart and wait for him, for he will surely come and fulfill God's word. She did not know the Messiah had already come. She did not realize these words had already been fulfilled, and they had been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus. He fulfilled all the promises that God made in His Old Testament Word. He died on the cross so that your sin and my sin could be forgiven. 
He rose again from the grave, bursting through the bonds of death, showing us that there is a life beyond this present life that one day we can enter into, life in all its fullness, in the presence of God. One day this Jesus will come again and gather his saved people to himself. But as the Ethiopian read and puzzled over this passage, he didn't understand it, and he asked Philip to explain it to him. What an opportunity for a Spirit-filled preacher. The Holy Spirit led Philip to meet with him, and now he's invited up into the chariot, and he's given the chance to explain Isaiah 53 to this official. <clears throat> My goodness. It didn't take Philip any time to begin to open up the Scripture and tell this man the good news about Jesus. So, beginning with this same Scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. He did the same as Jesus himself did on the road to Emmaus, the two who were traveling down that road and who were puzzling over all that had happened on that first Easter weekend, and who were downhearted and discouraged, and who were perplexed because they'd heard rumors of Jesus' body having been taken away. And, and, and this man draws near to them and joins them on their journey, and they pour out their hearts to him, and he turns to them, and he begins to explain why it all had to be. Luke 24, 25, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted the Messiah would have to suffer these things before entering His glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Philip did exactly the same for this one man, this Ethiopian, in his chariot as he journeys home. And as he tells him about Jesus, he obviously has told him not only about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, but he's also told them how obviously uh, the commission that the risen Jesus gave to the church to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, how could he know anything about baptism? How could he have heard anything about baptism unless Philip had taken the story right on and brought it right up to the present time? And as they're passing along, we see a significant proclamation. As they rode along, verse 36, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Why indeed? Now, if you're following in your Bible, you'll notice that the text jumps from verse 36 to verse 38. And probably you'll find down in the footnote of your Bible, some manuscripts add verse 37. It's not in all the manuscripts, but what's in verse 37 that may not be in your Scripture is sound theology, though it may not have originally been part of the text. 
And it says there, you can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a clear confession of faith in Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It echoes another early confession of faith in Romans 10:9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the two ladies who will be baptized this morning have made that same confession of faith. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and they put their faith and trust in Him. And so, having made that decision, we're told He ordered the carriage to stop, and He went down to the water, and Philip baptized Him. Philip baptized Him because he had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what our friends are doing today. And just to recap the question that the eunuch said, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Well, why shouldn't you be baptized? Why shouldn't you take that step, like these two ladies, to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If you believe, there is nothing at all to prevent you from being baptized. You don't have to go through an Alpha course before you can be baptized, or a Christianity explored and followed it up with discipleship explored before you can then get baptized. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible simply says, if you believe in Jesus and have put your faith and trust in him, you can be baptized. And in fact, not only does it say you can be baptized, the Bible says you should be baptized. You should profess your faith in Jesus. You need to proclaim to the world that you belong to Jesus, that you love him, that you've committed your life to him, and that you are going to serve him faithfully throughout the rest of your life. <clears throat> well, Philip was snatched away. The Ethiopian saw him no more, but it says he went on his way rejoicing. I guarantee you the two ladies that are going to be baptized are going to go on their way rejoicing after they've been baptized. But let me say to you, if you have never taken that step to put your faith and trust in Jesus and to confess him as your Lord in baptism, you can and should and ought to take that step today. And you too and go in your way rejoicing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the, the wonderful testimony your word gives to us. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Pray for the two ladies who will now confess their faith and ask your blessing to be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.